I am AS. This is the Shaws, Gary and Sandra, and it's our privilege to share from you the, uh, for you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Sandra's going to start, and I'll finish it. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am gain nothing. Love is patient and kind and does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. <clears throat> as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror faintly. But when face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Emmaus, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. All right. Thank you, Gary and Sandra, for, uh, for making that video. I, I know one of the things that we uh, really enjoyed back in the spring when we weren't able to be together were all the videos that were coming from home. And so we continue to think through ways that uh, that we can do that together as as a church family, and we, this is one of the things we're going to try to do in in the year to come. So, with First Corinthians thirteen in the background, let me read First John chapter four from seven down through twelve. So this is First John four seven through twelve. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let me pray for us as we get started this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to sing together, to pray together. God, thank you for the gift of fellowship in person. And God, thank you also for the gift of being able to connect online. And Father, I pray as we think about love today, God, that you would show us more of what it means to love you and to love one another. And God, that in the year to come, that, that love would define our lives and define our church. Because we do know, God, that our world is so much in need of seeing your love. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as we get started, thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, two words for you. Bradford Pear. Uh, my apologies up front if Bradford pear is your favorite type of tree, uh, but Bradford pear is frankly the tree that people love to hate and, and with good reason. Uh, Bradford pears were introduced to North America in the early 1900s as a way of trying to address a fire blight disease that was common in the forests of the Pacific Northwest. And so these trees came in, but they really became popular and really took off with the growth of suburbs in the middle of middle part of the 20th century. And obviously even up through our own time, Bradford pears, uh, they grew pretty fast. They had these white blossoms in the spring and they held their foliage throughout the year. And frankly, they multiplied like rabbits. Uh, and on top of that, they didn't really have any fruit to contribute to make a mess. They had little groups of berries on a lot of them. And these berries were inedible for humans, uh, but birds could spread them everywhere. And so there's a good chance that you have encountered Bradford pears somewhere in, in your life, maybe even right now uh, at, your, at your home. So sorry if I'm talking bad about your, uh, about your favorite tree. But here's the thing about Bradford pears they're not very resilient in storms. Uh, wind storms, ice storms, people found out quickly that the branches would break and, and just cause a mess. And on top of this, you have the idea of a fruit tree, but the fruit isn't any good for people. And in fact, they're part of this group of trees that some of which are fruit trees that don't produce any fruit. Think about that image. Think about suburban life from the middle of the 20th century up to now, Think about suburban churches and, and hold that imagery just for a moment. The fact that we would be the type of people who would want fruit trees without the fruit. The idea that we would want something that grows fast, looks nice, but it's not particularly resilient in storms and it doesn't have any good fruit to contribute. That's the danger we face, friends. That, that's the danger we face in the church and as Christians is that we would be enamored with a fruit tree that looks like a fruit tree, but it doesn't actually produce any fruit. And that's not what we've been created for. It's not what we've been called to. That God has planted us by streams of water, that we feed on the word of God, that our roots run deep in the truth of Christ, that we're filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? So that we can produce fruit and, and produce fruit that lasts. And, and that's what we've been called to. And so we don't want to be trapped in this Bradford pear type of Christianity or church where everything looks good, but there's no fruit being produced and the fruit that's produced is not edible or good for people. We want to be people who produce the fruit of the spirit. And let's just be honest, th this isn't easy. Uh, Galatians 5 talks to us about that battle between flesh and spirit, that, that when we live for the flesh, we're living for what we can do. We're living for the here and now, living an unspiritual life. But instead, we're called to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, uh, to be at work where the Spirit is at work, the Spirit who is active in prayer and praise. Uh, are we active in prayer and praise? The Spirit who inspires the Word of God, that the Word of God would fill up our life. The Spirit who draws us together as the church, that we're connected together as part of the church. The Spirit who gifts us to be able to equip and encourage and build up the church, the, the spirit who empowers us to share the gospel when we are active
where the Spirit is active, where the Spirit of God is filling up our life, that's when this fruit that we want so badly to be part of our lives and our church begins to grow, begins to show up. And we realize you can't fake this. Now you could, you know, for a while. Uh, if you're bored this afternoon, uh, take a fresh apple or a fresh pear or whatever you might have, uh, an orange, whatever you might have in your fridge and go to your neighbor's tree that is dormant for the winter and just hang that apple right on the tree. Something's not gonna look like there. You get a laugh from your neighbor maybe, but we realize that you can't fake the fruit of the spirit. Maybe for a time, maybe for a time, but eventually it's going to wear out. Eventually it's gonna give up. The fruit is what grows from the inside out when we're filled with the spirit, which means, think about that old illustration, you squeeze the toothpaste, what comes out? The fruit of the spirit is what comes out when we're under pressure. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes out when life doesn't go the way we expect. The fruit of the Spirit comes out in the way we treat our enemies, the way we treat those who have the least to give us, the way we treat those who live closest to us in our homes and, and at our workplaces. And, and frankly, the fruit of the Spirit is what identifies us as followers of Christ. If someone was to make a charge against you, if they were to put a charge against you that you were a follower of Jesus, and the fruit of the Spirit were the marks that you would be charged with, the, the signs that you would be a Christian. What if someone went through our social media accounts? What if someone followed us around for the week? What if somebody interviewed the people you live with and work with? Would we be guilty? Would, would our lives be identified by this fruit that God has called us to? And Emmaus, this is our calling. This, this is our focus for 2021. Maybe we won't be successful in all the ways that suburban life thinks of being successful. Maybe, but we're going to be faithful and we're going to be fruitful. Uh, think about this idea of First Baptist Moore planting. Even that idea of church planting that in the mid-1980s, First Baptist Moore saw this area where one day they hoped suburb would grow to. They hoped these housing divisions would come. Frankly, they hoped Bradford Pears would probably be planted. They saw a place for a church to be established. For what purpose? That we would bear fruit, that this is what we've been called to. Think about this imagery of an orchard of trees all around South Oklahoma City and Moore and Norman and spreading out into Cleveland County. Even think about your own home right now, wherever you're sitting, maybe you're in the big building, maybe you're watching at home. Think about your home, everybody living in a tree house your treehouse, where God has planted you and placed you, is it characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? That's what we've been called to, and that's the opportunity in front of us. And so today, we're going to begin with love. Why does Paul begin with love? Why is love the first element of the harvest of the Spirit in, in our lives? Well, frankly, it's probably because that's where Jesus began. Uh, what is the first and greatest commandment? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second that's like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love is established there as the first of the fruits, probably because it's meant to guide and, and even be the pattern for how the 
all the other fruits would, would be lived out. Sometimes we think of love, joy, peace, those first three as holding together and, and even called the Christmas fruits because those fruits are so common in, in the Christmas story. But love is established at the head of those. And today we want to think through why is that the case? So I want to share with you from 1 John chapter 4, over the next few minutes, I want to share with you three truths about love from 1 John chapter 4. So let's begin with verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we want to see three truths about this fruit called love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Truth number one is that love comes from God. That it is impossible to understand love without understanding that love flows from and comes from and originates from God. And this is true of God for all of eternity. Here's a point, and when we talk about doctrine in the church and we talk about doctrine from the word of God and some of these big, these big concepts this morning, one of these concepts here, this is where the aspect of Trinity, one God, three persons eternally existing together. This is where this truth comes from. They think about for all of eternity, what has God been doing? What was, was God bored before the creation of the world? No, God was full of love and joy and peace for all of eternity because his love and his light and his life was overflowing to the Son and the Son back to the Father, all empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. So for all of eternity, God has been overflowing with love. And we see that in creation. We see that in the giving of his word. We see that in the sending of his son, that God is a God who overflows, who gives out, who radiates love because it's at the core of who he is. And this is where we have to be careful because we live in a world, we live in a culture where people talk a lot about love. Uh, you don't have to be watching this morning and be particularly religious to think that love is a big deal. <laughs> and frankly, to think that our world needs some more love, that, that all we need is love. We, we understand even love has its own holiday. We, we live in that type of world. The problem comes when we divorce the word love from the theology of who God is and how that love comes from him. Uh, let's just say this as a follow-up. Good theology and strong worship should drive us to be more loving, should drive us to love in the way that God has loved us. Uh, you might know some people who love theology and theology debates and read a lot of books and listen to a lot of sermons and love to talk about these things. And let's just be honest, they're not particularly loving or joyful or peaceful. And can I just say to you, that is not from God. That that is not true theology, true worship. The more we know God, the more we'll be drawn to love him and to love others that we are able to love because God loved us. So that's the foundational point. That's the first point I just want us to remember is that love comes from God. Point number two, let's look at verses nine and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was displayed and shown, was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Point number one, that love comes from God. Point number two is that love is defined by the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That God loves us, even in when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. The way we are able to understand the love of God, the, the personal, costly, sacrificial love of God is to see that God showed his love by sending his son, ultimately sending his son to the cross. And so when we think about love, we can't leave it in this abstract, fuzzy category. We have to see that love is personal and that love is sacrificial here in, in dealing with this message of, of the cross. And look back there in, in verse 9 again, that this love was made manifest among us. It was displayed. It was shown to us in God sending his only son. John 3.16, this verse right here talking about God's only son, that, that the unique son of God, the one and only son of God who is able to come and do what none of us were able to do on our own. For what purpose? So that we might live through him. Without the love of God, without the sending of Jesus, we would ultimately be dead in our sins that we are like even worse than a dormant tree. We are a dead tree. We're not able to produce that fruit. We're not able to be alive. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our sins apart from the life that Christ is able to give. And how? How does that happen? Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God. So we have not first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is one of, another one of these doctrine ideas. So we talked about Trinity and we've talked about now propitiation. Don't see those as uh, meaningless words. I mean, that's at the core of how we understand God's love. So propitiation is a two-sided word. It's, it's a two-sided coin. One aspect of propitiation is that in Jesus dying for us, he took our place. He took on God's wrath against sin. He took on our sin and our guilt and our shame and our death that he stood in our place. And at the same time in dying for us, he took away our guilt. He took away the guilt of that sin. So he absorbed what should have been ours. He took our place. He died with us and he also died for us. He, he took away that guilt and that sin so that we are ultimately able to have life. As we say often at Emmaus, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, that he was the propitiation for our sins. And so again, when we think about love and we think about showing love in the world, most people in the world, especially right now with all the chaos that we're facing, most people in the world are not opposed to the concept of love. They want more love in the world, except we're too quick to divorce love from the cross of Christ. So you talk to someone about Jesus's teaching and, and they will acknowledge that he's a great teacher. And, and you talk to someone about the life that Jesus lived and they say, yeah, we need more of that in our world. But then you go to the cross and immediately say, people say, ah, we want to talk about the teaching of Jesus, that he taught us to be good people. And we want to talk about the life of Jesus. But friends, we cannot understand those things apart from the cross of Christ, of what he has done for us. And so when we think about the love that we've been called to show to others, that love we've been called to show is personal and it's costly and it's sacrificial. And don't miss this. Love 
is meant to address the reality of sin in the world. We live in a world that is broken. We live lives that are sinful. And love is connected to God's justice. Love is connected to God's salvation. Love is connected to God's truth. That Ephesians 5 says that we are to speak the truth in love. I guess it's actually Ephesians 4, but we are to speak the truth in love. So when we show love to people, love is not saying to someone, hey, just do whatever you want to. If we're not careful, the way we use love in our world today is very fuzzy, very abstract, and very open-ended. Just live however you want, do whatever you want. Loving is that idea. Except in Scripture, love is defined by the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ confronts us in our sin, confronts us in our death, and shows us a new way forward. Point number one, love is from God. Point number two, love must be defined by the cross. Point number three, love is displayed in and through the church. From God, defined by the cross, displayed, shown to the world in and through the church. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what God has shown to us, this, this attribute of God, the core of who he is, he's overflowed to us. We show this to others. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, lives in us, lives through us, and his love is perfected or brought to completion in us. So if we were looking at the overview of 1 John, if we were kind of talking about 1 John as a whole, one of the things you find in 1 John is that there was a group of people in the church that were obsessed with what it meant to be spiritual. And this idea of being spiritual is, seems to be that some of them were claiming that they had seen God, that they had risen to a greater spiritual height than everybody else in, in the church. And let's be honest, we still deal with that today, that, that some people elevate their spirituality based on the fact that they've had experiences that other people haven't. We, we battle that. What, what we're seeing here in 1 John 4 is if you want to understand what it means to be spiritual, to be spiritual is to be loving. And to be loving is to know God and for his to life to come through us. Spirituality, high spirituality, is not about having experiences that other people haven't had. True spirituality is showing the love of God to the people around you on a day-by-day -day basis. And there is no plan B. Jesus said that people would know that we are his disciples as we love one another. The mark of the Christian life is that we are people of love, that we love one another, which means there is no way for someone to say, oh, look at that person, they're godly and they follow, they're just not particularly loving. It's not true, it's not even scriptural in any particular way. We, as the followers of Jesus, are defined by love, love for God and love for others. Now the question is, what does that love look like? What does it look like to live that out? How do you, how do you make sense of that in day-to-day in -day life? Let me take you down to verses 17 and 18. Actually, verse 18. Let's jump down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, what we're going to find here in these next couple of verses is that the opposites of love, the things that battle against love in our lives and our world are fear and hate. Now, 
Think for just for a minute about the world we live in right now. And, and what is, what do you get the sense that is trying to overwhelm our world right now? Fear and hate. Fear and hate will cripple our ability to live life to the fullest. Fear and hate are the enemies of love. And right here we find in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, you might be thinking, but hey, Owen, I think, isn't fear, isn't fear of God a good thing? Absolutely. There is a right way that we are to talk about the fear and the reverence and the awe of God. So it, it is good and right and scriptural that we would talk about. There is an element of fear of God that, that is good and holy. But right here, we're talking about a fear of punishment, this withering fear of future eternal punishment. But remember, we don't live in that fear because of what Jesus has done for us, that our, that our hope is in him, that he is taking away the power of sin and death. And so we have life. And so perfect love, the love of God shown to us through Christ, destroys the power of fear, which means in our lives, in our world today, where love is at work, fear has to run and hide. Fear in relationships cannot survive where God's love is active. Now, unfold this another layer. Think about marriage or think about friendships or, or parents. Think about our relationship with our kids. Kids should know the advantage and the, and the goodness of godly discipline. Discipline and punishment are not the same things. That kids would know loving discipline but that they would never fear withering punishment. That kids would know the flourishing that comes in a family when good and godly discipline is present, loving discipline, but kids would never live in a climate of fear. You just think about how hard that is for a child who grows up in an, in an environment where they're constantly withering under this fear of punishment or fear of un, unsure of how people are gonna react around them. Uh, think about the, the joy and the peace that is sucked out of a marriage where, where one person is living in fear of what the other person will do. Perfect love casts out fear. We live in a world where people are afraid. People are afraid of the future. People are afraid of what's gonna happen around them. We have the opportunity, friends, to be people of love because perfect love casts out fear. Look at the next set of verses here at the end of this chapter. Verses, uh, uh, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. That same concept being reiterated. If anyone says in verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, fear and hate. Remember, those are the two enemies of love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we, hate, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Another theme that runs throughout 1 John is that our words and our actions should, should match. Uh, where does hate come from? Hate often comes from environments where we can't trust one another. Uh, so when we don't trust someone, we're more prone to, to hate them. And who, who do we not trust? Well, we don't trust when someone says one thing and then they do another. When We, we don't trust that their words and actions are, are, are going to uh, match up. And so there's an environment here where, where hate is able to blossom when you don't have trust. But when love is present, 
trust is also going to be present and that's going to cause hate to flee, to, to go another direction. So what do we have in our world that, that will try to stop the love of God? We have fear and we have hate. What have we been called as Christians to do? We've been called to love as God loved us, which what happens? It destroys the environments where fear and hate would take root. In our homes, at our workplaces, in our church, fear and hate will never be able to take hold when we are able to show the love of God to one another. Now, practically, what does that look like? How, how do we show love to one another? What does that look like and feel like, and how do we live that out? Well, remember, love is the first of nine elements in, in the fruit of the Spirit. And so, in some sense, how do I show love is, is just my invitation to say, let's continue on this journey together for the next eight weeks. Let's how do we show love through joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these fruit are going to allow us to do that. Uh, how do you show love? Go back and read 1 Corinthians 13 that, that we heard earlier, that that is a pattern for what does it look like to show love to the people around me. But let me give you this as we get ready to wrap up. As you think about love and how do I, how do I define this and how do I show this to others, let's go all the way back around to the beginning and, and talking about God's character. Remember that for all of eternity, love has been the goodness and light and power of God, the life-giving power of God overflowing from himself, which means that if you want to define love, one of the ways you can define love is life-giving. That love is when we are seeking the flourishing and the good and the benefit of those around us. Because we know what it is to be loved by God, don't, don't miss the beauty uh, of the gospel that we are fully known by God, that he knows all about us, and yet we are fully loved by him. The good news of Jesus is that we are fully known and fully loved by God, so we don't have to go out and try to make other people love us because we have the love of the God of the universe flowing through us, which sets us free to then seek the good of people around us. So one of the ways that we can show love, one of the ways we can define love and try to determine, is this happening in my life, is very simply, am I giving life to the people around me? Do my words, do my actions, do, does the attitude of my presence give life? Because we realize, right, you're around certain people. Certain people give life and certain people just suck the life right out of you. Um, loving people, the love of God is outgoing outfacing, outpouring to the world around us. In love, I'm able to look at another person and say, I am for you. I want your best and I will seek for your best. Even if it causes sacrifice on my part, even if I have to give up something, I want to see you flourish. Maybe just a quick, uh, quick illustration about this. I know our church uh, has been through so much recently and, and one of those events that just continues to just to hang over my heart, my mind is is the death of Dub Raper, uh, a friend to so many of us, and just just what a joy to have as part of our church family. And, and I can't even begin to tell you uh, the gift that that Coach was to to me personally, and the things that he would he would tell me. But if you've read any of the articles in the Daily Oklahoma, or if you watched anything on News Nine, or certain things that have come out about Coach Raper. Uh, 
he was an old school coach. <laughs> he would have been uh, he would have been a tough guy to probably play for at times. I mean, he he knew the the value of of tough basketball and old school basketball. But you hear people talk about him, and they also talk about the love that he had for his players. That he wanted the best for these young men. That he wanted to get the best out of them as basketball players. But really, he just wanted to get the best out of them as young men as they would grow up and live life. And so you think about that idea of someone who who would have had a tough exterior, probably a lot of yelling, probably a lot of running that his teams did. But man, he loved those players. He wanted their best. What have we been called to in the church? What have we been called to as followers of Jesus? God has shown his love toward us in the cross of Christ so that we would be made alive and then be able to share that life with others, that they could take part in that, that they could flourish, that their life would be greater and more full because God uses us to build them up, to look at someone and say, I am with you, I am for you, and I want to see you live life to the fullest, both now and for eternity. So Emmaus, we don't want to go the way of the Bradford pair. <laughs> we don't want to look good, but have no fruit to offer someone. This year, God, would you find us faithful and would you help us by your spirit to be fruitful so that your kingdom would spread, so that your good news would go all around the world. And God, let it start right here. Let me pray for us and, and we're going to get re ready to wrap up for today. Father, thank you for the message of the fruit of the spirit. God, we have a long journey ahead of us as we think what it means for your spirit to, to cause these things to grow up in our lives and in our church. Today, God, remind us of the power of love. We live in a world where people are desperate for love. Uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of chaos. And yet love drives all of those away because love comes from you. Love has been defined for us on the cross. The sacrificial death of Jesus that deals with sin and death. And God, when we understand that, when that life is at work within us, we'll be able to show that love for others. And God, help us. Help us to be people who are life-giving, not life-taking. God, that when someone hears us speak, when someone spends time around us, that they would be given life, that they would be empowered and encouraged to flourish in whatever you've called them to do. God, that we can look at one another and say, I am with you and I'm for you. And God, we know that's possible because that's what you've done for us. God, that we are fully known by you and yet we are fully loved. And Father, we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, Emmaus. Uh, hope to be back together really soon. Thanks for your encouragement and kindness toward my family. And we'll connect again soon. God bless you all. Have a great day.